We are The Table, and we are so glad that you have taken time out of your week to join us. Here at The Table, it is our hope to move you forward in life and faith over the course of this message. At The Table, we do things just a bit differently. We pose questions in real time, and we want to give you some time to wrestle with those questions as well. Again, thanks for joining us, and we hope that this message moves you forward. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Do me a favor. Just look around. Look around the room. Look around the room. If you make eye contact with somebody, don't awkwardly look away. Just wave at them. You haven't seen them in a while. That's okay. We got folks who have returned from college. Praise the Lord. Good to see you guys. We brought some of our family members with us today. God bless you. Amen. God is good. All the time. I like when y'all do that. I like saying stuff that make y'all say stuff back. It makes me feel seen and heard. Amen. Amen. Let's... Oh, bless the Lord. Let's jump right in. Today we are concluding our series, Wish List. We've concluded our series, Wish List. This is week number three. I'm always curious when we do sermon series. I think I told you before, this last year or so, I've really changed my approach to... to how I prepare for messages and different things like that. And this has really been the first time that I've really focused on preaching in, in series, where it's like two, three, four, even five, kind of on the same thing. And I think it's so interesting because when I come up, when the Lord kind of inspires me to give me this, the series title and the series direction, I always think it's funny because I wonder where people's minds first go when they hear what it is, and then when I really start to dig into it, I wonder where their heart takes them. And it's very intriguing to me um, because, I mean, we're creatures of habit and we we hear certain things and we, certain things come to mind and it makes us get into a thought. It's the Christmas season, it's the Advent season, and wish list immediately helps us think about gifts and presents and the things that we want to ask for. And the way that the series has played out, it has been God showing you how God has revealed an intentionality about the things that he's written down in his inspired word. And it's less about what we think we want, because the reality of it is, and the things that we think we want, that's what goes on our list first. But the things that we need never make the cut. And so throughout this series, there's been this reflection of like, well, what is it that we're, the list that we're talking about, and what, what, what does it all mean, if you will? And the first week, the sermon title was, You Are on the List. And I showed you, and we talked about the genealogy of Jesus and how Jesus' presence changed the past. It was essentially, John was showing us how the birth of Jesus really connected the people of the past back to God. So we talked about Jesus and his impact on the past. Last week, our sermon title was Making a List and Checking It Twice. 
And we talked about how Jesus, his presence, would transform our right now. Meaning you have to understand when you look at a list of anything, what is it really saying and what is it not saying? There are implications of every list. And in there we see the connection of us and how Jesus becomes that connection point for us back to God. Today we're going to talk about understanding the list. We're going to talk about how the presence of Jesus can transform our future and that Jesus plays a role in the connection of our soul to eternity. So today we're going to spend time understanding the list, and I want to take you to the gospel according to Luke, the second chapter, and we're going to start at verse number one. At the time of the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to their firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks and sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by the sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart, and she thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flock, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and all that they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given to him by the angel even before he was conceived. Amen. 
This is the reading of the gospel according to Luke. I think this is interesting. You all have heard this Bible story in some capacity or another, whether it be a Charlie Brown Christmas, whether it be some other holiday special or a play that was done in church as a child. But there are some things that are happening here that I want to make sure we understand what's being captured in this gospel. The first thing I want to talk about is the census. The census is the list of people and their origins, like where they came from. This is important because the story of a coming Messiah had been told for generations at this point. There was this understanding that the Messiah would come from David's genealogy. Remember, we talked about this genealogy thing. But the interesting thing about this is that Mary was from Nazareth. It had been prophesied that this baby was going to come from Nazareth, which makes no sense because that's not where David was from. So you have these kind of conflicting things that kind of happen in the story where, where one plus one don't seem to equal two. How could it be if, if, if prophecy is going to be fulfilled, then there has to be some consistent truth in the story? Well, look at God. Because here is what we know about the city of Nazareth. And it's actually recorded when, when Jesus is, is, is going around and collecting the disciples. They ask the question, can anything good even come from Nazareth? In other words, Nazareth was not just pumping out messiahs like that. You know, there are certain parts of town and there are certain necks of the woods where there's not too much good that comes from it. And so this is really confusing because there's not anything special that's supposed to come out of Nazareth. But look at God. Here, all of a sudden, when there's time for this, this baby to be born, his mom is from one place, but because of the senses, he must go where his father is from, which just so happens to be the city of David because of his genealogy. This is super, super important because, as I told you, this had already been said through prophecy and, and through the vision of angels. This has been said that this is how it's supposed to go. So all of a sudden, we start to see way back then how God is orchestrating everything. We also see in the text that we read of how society at this time is essentially rejecting Jesus. Joseph and Mary, they are leaving at a time that King Herod, he got a problem with this whole king of the Jews thing. He's hearing that, wait a minute, there's a baby that's born that they're calling the king, the Messiah, the, the, the savior of all the holy people. See, what a lot of people don't know is that King Herod for 30 years had been calling himself the king of the Jews. That was his title. Can you, ain't this something funny? It's 2023 right now. Way back then, Jesus, before he was born, was fighting against people self-identifying. My Lord, we'll say that one for another time. That might have went over some of y'all here. 
But we see, we see, we see that King Herod is like, wait a minute. I need to find this Messiah, and he needs to go. And he had decided that he was going to kill all the, the male babies that were two years old and under. Take them out. Who is this Savior of the world? Who is this Messiah, this, this king that's supposed to save everybody? Even then, before Jesus let out his first wah, people were rejecting him. In this text that we just read, the Word of God is telling the future because it's giving us this confirmation of prophecy and these angelic accounts, confirming the prophecies of the past and securing the right now of what was happening as Jesus was preparing to enter the earth. In this very text, we see Jesus in the past, in the present, and in the future. We see that there is celebration and rejoicing because the Savior is finally being born. We see this excitement, this glory, this hallelujah because prophecy is being fulfilled. There's nothing better. And I'm just happy that the people of those days were maybe a little bit better than us, or their petty meter was a little less than ours, because that's one major I told you so. I mean, that's a mean I told you so, to be able to say that I knew all this time what was going to happen. I didn't know how, but all I had to do, all I had to lean on was to trust God. See, we're in here today because there are some things that you and I need to trust God for how it's going to happen. This doesn't make any sense. Oh, until it does. We see here that Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he was born of this humble circumstance from Nazareth. Many people don't realize this. They ask us if is this a Nazarene church? What does that even mean? We say Nazarene. What does that mean? Just like somebody from Chicago is a Chicagoan. If you're from Cleveland, go Browns. Today at noon, beat the Bears. Yeah, I said it. I said it. <laughs> Amen. No, I can't. It's a Clevelander. You're from the United States of America, you are American. Somebody from the town of Nazareth is a Nazarene. Jesus was referred to in prophecy as the Nazarene. We see in this text that in this circumstances of this Nazarene man, this from, 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 from nothing, this town of Nazareth, Jesus his Father God orchestrating everything. And we see this reflection of his future earthly ministry and all the things uncover the intention of God from the beginning. See, I want to tell you something about the list. Any list that you have, you ought to make sure you understand the intention of the things on it. 
Anytime you're reading the list, anytime you're reading the text, anytime you are reading the Bible, you have got to understand God's intention. The list is necessary because of what it's going to be used for. Prophecy is empty. If, there, if you don't have any idea, well, what is this even for? What does this even mean? And then you start trying to make it happen for yourself. But is that God's intention for what it was? See, everything on the list is necessary because of God's intended use for it. So I want to help you today that when you see a list, specifically, let's talk groceries. When you see a grocery list, you ought to get exactly what's on it. Because what's on it serves a purpose. And unless you know the purpose, you're still going to get the wrong thing. The Word of God is very much like that. The list of the accounts of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, if it's not clear on the intention of his journey, you're bound to get it wrong. You're bound to understand that it's all wrong and it's all messed up because everything is not one and the same. I often had this conversation about generic cereal. It ain't the same, or is it? See, many of you will say no, and I done put my own kids to the taste test, and I put them in two separate containers, and I say, here, eat. Oh, and the confusion on their face. And they rationalize which one is the real thing, which one is the one they intended to eat. See, when you don't know what's the real versus what was intended, trying to just pass over some things. See, there are certain things, when, you, when you're going to cook certain things, it's, you need fresh veggies for certain dishes. The canned stuff ain't going to cut it. The frozen thing's not going to cut it. Sometimes you just need the fresh ingredient. But unless you put it clear on the list of what you're going to use it for, there's room for interpretation. Hmm. TV dinners. You invite me over to dinner and you hand me this hit tray. And in your defense, all you said was, would you like to come over for dinner? But make no mistake, it's a big difference between what's in that tray and a home-cooked meal. You got to understand what the intention is. My memory immediately goes to my beautiful wife. Oh, she's beautiful. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. And I remember, since my daughter is here too, she over, over there, um, she, they tend to make fun of me because of my interpretation of the, of the grocery list. But see, I look at it like this. You should have said, go ahead, fellas, don't leave me out here like this now. You should have said what you meant. Or at least gave me some insight to what you was going to use it. 
I'm preaching this thing to you. I hope you're catching this. At least, I, because if I knew what you was going to do with it, if I knew your intended use, then maybe my decision making would be different. Because what you said was garlic and pepper. So I brought you garlic, pepper. Had I known that you were trying to cook something that required fresh ingredient, I would have brought you cloves. You sold me small tomatoes. I brought you the smallest tomatoes. They was cherry tomatoes. <laughs> Had I known what you were going to use it, you understand? Are you catching this? See, you have to understand the intention. And when we look at the word of God, when we look at this journey of Jesus' birth, you got to understand God's intention. You have to understand God's intention. See, there are some things that we have to get when we're demonstrating intention and purpose. This this is an apple. This apple can simply be used for a couple of different things. You could eat it. You could feed it to people. Feed it to animals. You got a grand idea that you just wanted to get the seeds out and plant you a new apple tree. Or this apple can be an ingredient to go into something else. And that might mean that you need more than one. That might mean that you need a certain type of apple. But the reality of it is, is this has an intent and it has a purpose. Well, so does this. Now that I got your attention, I bet you say amen <laughs> That's not funny. That is not funny. Don't clap for that. Probably going to lose sleep over that comment. But this knife, the knife and the knife alone is used to cut things, to carve things. You're in the woods, you need to start a fire. Maybe you cut off some branches, you whittle some things. It could be used for protection. Or it could be used as food prep. Now, when you put these two things together, how can they be used? You can use a knife to peel it, to cut it up, slice it. Like I said earlier, you can take the seeds out of it to plant the seeds. You could, you could cut this apple into many little pieces and share it with others. It has a use, and it has a use by itself, and it has a use with something else. But at what point does it intended use change to something like use the apple to throw it at somebody? When, 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 when does it happen that, that all of a sudden the intended use is for something malicious like take this knife and hurt somebody with it? 
to cut something, to, to harm someone, to threaten. What, what happens? Because the intended purpose of the thing is one thing. But at some point, something goes terribly wrong that all of a sudden we get creative or shall I say perverted in the ways that we do the things that God intended. Perverted, that's an interesting word. Having been corrupted, having been distorted from its original course, its original meaning, its, its original state, the perversion is a form of human behavior which then deviates from what is considered to be orthodox or normal. Although the term perversion can refer to a variety of forms of deviation, it often is used to describe behaviors, particularly ones that are abnormal or repulsive or even obsessive. See, God has an intended purpose, had an intended purpose from the beginning. And the perversion of man is what changed everything. When we are left to our own devices, to make our own decisions, there is some harm that we have that he's trying to get us to understand about following him. The birth of Jesus allows us to get back on track so that we're not distracted by the perversion of the world. Because God allows us to see and reconcile through Jesus back to his way. This is necessary because as I sat here and I, I pulled out this knife, all y'all said, <gasps> and we see things that happen on the news and we say, how could anybody do that? And we raise these questions and we say things like, man, what would the world be like? Man, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Jesus. Yes, you do. You know exactly. I know exactly. It'd be some of the stuff that you tiss tiss about. What Jesus allows us to do is to not fall victim to the very things that the world has perverted. And if you're not careful, you will fall into the perversion, and everything around you will be perverted, and that will become your norm, missing out on God's intention for us to be with him. The scripture records in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 14, their perverted hearts plot evil, and they constantly stir up trouble. Proverbs 17 and 20 says, the crooked heart will not prosper, but the lying tongue tumbles into trouble. See, we have to understand when we're standing here talking about moving forward, what we're saying is you got to get away and be convicted of just doing things the same old way, needing Jesus only sometime, wanting Jesus only partially, on, wanting to be around Jesus and Jesus, be only reading scripture some of the time, only hearing things some, some of the way. You got to get away from that and continue to move forward so that he can impact more parts of your life. Because some of us ain't tempted by an apple. The apple ain't confusing us. Oh, but our relationships are. Our desires of our flesh is how to deal with our anger and our stress getting the best of us. 
how to love our enemies. Woo-wee. How to be financially responsible. How to have patience with our loved ones. Ooh. How to be faithful when it don't seem like God is moving fast enough. And here we are just winging it. But being committed to moving forward in our relationship with Jesus is a commitment to search God's intent and God's purpose will be revealed to you. You got to move forward and put it through the lenses of his intent. If it starts with his intent and not your list of what you want, then just maybe the purpose and the reasoning will be revealed to you. Otherwise, beloved, you just winging it. You just winging it. When we start to change our language, when we start to look at things a little bit different, when we start to change the priority of the things that we wish and hope for, then just maybe some revelation will come into that. See, God was not, it's not about, it feels like it sometimes, like it's a rule book. The Bible is just trying to slap you on the wrist. But could it be, and it is, that God has been trying for generations to help you understand, to help them understand back then. He's been trying. Look, just do what I say. Because I know what you don't know. I understand what you don't understand. I see what you cannot see. I already know. And so could it be that it's not a list of rules, but instead it, 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 is, it is sight to you so that if you would just trust me, I can prevent the things from coming your way that you don't even know are around the corner waiting on you. I get it. We ask ourselves questions, but I want to give you a list of questions to think about. What is God's intent for giving us this list of directions? What is, what is God's intent for giving us this list of words, but also giving us this, this list of scripture, this genealogy that we've been talking about, this telling us all about how Jesus even came to be. We ain't even talked about none of Jesus' miracles, what he did, where he been, none of that. We're just trying to show you, I'm just trying to show you how God was orchestrating this entire thing and working it out even before Jesus came to earth. So what is God intent for giving us direction? The answer, he wants to protect us from what we don't know and don't understand. Well, what happens when I don't know and I don't understand? What happens? What, when you don't know something and you don't understand something, what do you do? Typically, you try to figure it out yourself. Well, when you try to figure it out yourself, do you always find out? Do you always know if you're doing the right thing? How many of y'all just spin your wheels thinking about whether you did it right or not? You don't even got to raise your hand. Everybody in here. <laughs> How do I know if I'm making the right decision? Well, here's the thing. You normally don't know if you're making the right decision. You just use what you know in your personal experience. You use what you heard. Others experience beer, what others tell you. Or you do something that you're comfortable with. 
you take your chances and you deal with the consequences. But what if something happens and the consequence is something you can't recover from? What if it's something that you can't come back from? What if it's something that you can't repair once it's gone? Then what? And that is why we need Jesus. That is why we need Jesus. Because our decisions could be so detrimental to our livelihood, so detrimental to our family, so de detrimental to ourselves, so detrimental to eternity for us that we needed to have an answer. And God knew that. Proverbs 4 and 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. It's the main thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with thy getting, get an understanding. In other words, chase the truth that is God. You chase that information, and you, you gain wisdom, but then you begin to understand it in a way that allows you to navigate this perverted and sinful world. Because now you don't even see it the same way. It, it looks wrong. It sounds wrong. It feels wrong. It gets to a point where it's like, man, I don't even, I don't even, man, I could think of some things in my past that, man, every, every Thursday night happened, I was, let's go. And now it's like, I don't, I have no, I, that, I don't, it's like not there. But the reason that it's not there is because you have to get to a point where you say, wait a minute, this feels normal because this is what everybody's doing. Go out Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday, drag yourself out, swear you ain't never going to do it again until next Thursday. But why is that not a thing? Because you give those things to the Lord. You ain't got to figure it out yourself. You trust him with it, and he begins to shape you. Understand the list. Understand the text. Understand the word of God. Because of the birth of Jesus, Jesus transforms your past. He transitions your future, your present, and he transcends your future. Jesus transforms your past, transitions your present, and transcends your future. My wish for you, on the top of my wish list, for you and those that you love and even those that we don't know, is that they begin to have a hunger and a thirst to know God more intimately, to understand what God was up to, to understand why Jesus was born, to understand that he is the answer for the problems and the challenges that beat us down and wear us out on a daily basis. That is on the top of my list. I wish that for you. I have hope in Jesus for you. And it is my prayer that you see him 
and experience him more thoroughly. May you move forward. May you take a next step. May you commit to learning more. May you commit to baptism by the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus so that you can get where he wants you to go and away from the perversion of the world. What better way? Baptism Sunday is on New Year's Eve. What better way to begin your transcendent future in Christ than to not just close the year, but to start the year expecting to see a move of God. May you be blessed and may God be glorified in each one of your lives. I pray this prayer over you and your family. In Jesus' name. Moved you forward, personally or in faith, we encourage you to share it with someone who needs a message of hope today. And if you're interested or looking for ways to partner with us in our mission here at the table, head on over to thetablejoliet.org for more information.